Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. We're going to have a country that really, really is at civil war for the first time. Wait, what? Did we get a recording from 1861? I, I'm stunned. My jaw is uh, dropping to new lows. I don't know who that genius was, Michael. You surprised me with that one. Oh, I should have recognized the voice. Donnie Douche from uh, MSNBC. We're going to have a civil war for the first time. Well, talk about an empty vessel. Yes, the uh, topic du jour is, of course, uh, the the biggest topic du jour. There are many topics today on the Chris Plant Show. Thank you for being here. Uh, is uh, Nikki Haley's unfortunate answer last night. She was in New Hampshire, where she still is today, doing some campaigning. No doubt with the governor of New Hampshire, who has endorsed her, Chris Sununu. Uh, she's been uh, trying to fix the statement she made when she was asked the question. What was the cause of the United States Civil War? Now, that question should be a no-brainer to most of us. I think, I think it should be a no-brainer to most of us. And it, it's, um, it's a simple but complicated question at the same time. You know, that's kind of a conundrum, a contradiction. So I decided to use the technology, the artificial intelligence of Grok. Grok is uh, the AI machine inside Twitter X. And I have a Grok subscription, whatever you want to call it, so... I, I put the exact wording of that man's question to Nikki Haley into the Grok machine. And in about a second and a half, it returned the following answer. The United States Civil War, which lasted from 1861 to 1865, was primarily caused by slavery and the issues surrounding it. Boom. Right there. That's a simple answer. And I think most of us would have led with a similar answer. Saying, look, it, it was a, a big issue, but the primary cause was slavery, which then triggered a bunch of issues around it. Grock goes on to say, the growing divide between the northern and southern states over the expansion of slavery into the western territories, that's accurate, as well as the election of Abraham Lincoln, who was seen as an anti-slavery candidate, led to the secession of several southern states and the formation of the Confederate States of America. Now, that little paragraph, while sounding like it's out of a, a good history book, could have had a colloquial sort of just conversational answer from someone as smart as Nikki Haley. And I think she's a smart lady. But she didn't answer like that. Not even close to like that. Let me finish up with Grok before I give you the answer. 
that Nikki Haley gave. Grock also went on to say other factors contributed to the outbreak of the Civil War included economic differences between the North and Southern states, states' rights, and the election of Lincoln. And closing by saying it's worth noting that the Civil War was a defining moment in American history and its causes and consequences are still debated and studied today. True. All of that is true. And sometimes I have concerns about AI, but this one, this one answer generated a pretty solid response. And it's one I don't think was out of the reach of someone who wants to be the president of the United States. So what did Nikki Haley say when she was asked what was the cause of the U.S. Civil War? Well, don't come with an easy question or anything. I mean, I think the cause of the Civil War was basically how government was going to run, the freedoms and what people could and couldn't do. What do you think the cause of the Civil War was? Boom. Mistake. Two mistakes right there. Two mistakes. She could have added the word slavery. I think the trigger was slavery and the government telling people how they were going to run their lives. It could have been woven right into that, but she missed it. She whiffed. And then she looked at the guy, and I don't know why she would say this. Why wouldn't you have given a full and thoughtful answer? Why would you turn it around on the guy and say, well, what do you think it was? Sounding more professorial than, than presidential to me. Just a thought. The guy turns it right back at her. I'm sorry? I'm not running for president. I, 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 I wanted to see uh, your That's a good thing. on the cause of the Civil War. I mean, I think it always comes down to the role of government and what the rights of the people are. And we, I will always stand by the fact that I think government was intended to secure the rights and freedoms of the people. It was now she had many opportunities there to say for all people, for all men, no matter what color, what gender, it, it was a missed opportunity. And at the very end, I think she really this is the third strike. On this three strikes answer to me was when she asked the gentleman, what do you want me to say about slavery? Just a bad, bad ending. Very bad ending. And then afterwards, she had to do cleanup. Nikki Haley doing a little bit of cleanup on this topic. Well, two things on this, Jack. I mean, of course, the Civil War was about slavery. We know that. That's that's the easy part of it. What I was saying was, what does it mean to us today? What it means to us today is about freedom. That's what that was all about. It was about individual freedom. It was about economic freedom. It was about individual rights. Our goal is to make sure... No, we never go back to the stain of slavery. But what's the lesson in all of that? Missed opportunity. Missed opportunity. This is going to be debated at length at nauseum, especially in the in the uh, shadow of what Donald Trump Jr. said yesterday when he said, I'll do whatever's in my power to prevent Nikki Haley from becoming the running mate for my dad. And I do think that was a trial balloon. I know a lot of people don't. I think it was kind of saying, well, maybe could we accept her back in as a number two? We'll see. I, I have said that my choices, which are, are all based on a female candidate, I think the GOP is going to push really hard for Trump to have a female candidate, especially with the abortion issue looming so large 
2024. Kamala's going to go out on an abortion tour very soon because, you know, the border's fixed. So she's going to go out and push the abortion issue. But I think it'll be a female VP candidate. And Nikki Haley is on my list of three, along with Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And I also have Christy Nome on there. That's me. That's in my list. It's a discussion for another day. Uh, I'm going to take one more call on this, then we, we have to move on. We have to move on because there are other issues, like what Vivek Ramaswamy said last night. And, uh, and the issue of what the World Economic Forum is trying to foist upon you and upon me with digital currency, which I am just very concerned about. Steve is actually in Nikki Haley's home state of South Carolina. Steve, welcome to the Chris Plant Show. You have the final call on this topic. Uh, thank you. Um, after listening to your other topic, I actually was able to mix in both topics on this. Uh, when he asked her what uh, started the Civil War, uh, she should have said, well, the country was divided between half the people wanted open borders and half the people wanted closed borders, and they just couldn't take it anymore, the people that wanted closed borders, so they uprised again. And he would say, what are you talking about? And she says, oh, you're, you're talking about the past Civil War, not the future Civil War. <laughs> so the past or is 160 years ago. Why do you want to beat that dead horse? Why don't you ask me about the Israeli war or the uh, any of these other wars that we got going on right now? Why don't you ask something that's really affecting us? I thought it was a weak question. Well, the the Haley camp is kind of hinting that they felt like this was a setup, a gotcha question from a possible Democrat placed in the audience. So you know, there, there is that discussion happening. But are you a Nikki Haley fan, being a South, a South Carolinian? Um, not, not really. I will say I'm a Trump fan. But, um, and I actually met Nikki Haley. She came to our job site once. And um, um, I just wasn't impressed by her. And then, you know, I mean, okay. maybe I haven't given her an honest chance. But, um, you know. If all we got to go against her is something silly like this, and she's in pretty good shape. Well, I, I appreciate your very measured and thoughtful response to this, and uh, thanks for being there today. Thank you, Steve. There he goes. Uh, I have to um, I have to get to a couple of these other hot topics we we're talking about, and Steve was also mentioning uh, immigration. Uh, I just caught during the break. A, um, a new graph that's out about our, our immigration court system because that's, that's the big problem. You know, everybody's saying, hey, we just need to create more government to process all of these people who want to come here, who are here trying to get asylum in the country. And there is a, a new chart out, courtesy of the New York Post, showing the immigration court case backlog. Now, I'm looking to see what the backlog was in immigration court cases during the Trump administration. And during the administration of Donald John Trump, from uh, December, if we go back, it goes back to December 2016, and we look at the first quarter of 2017 through 2020, the backlog was never 
more than 100,000 cases. Never more than 100,000 cases. Joe Biden comes in, and the actual backlog when Joe Biden came in was under 50,000 cases. The courts had cleared up a lot of the people seeking to get immigration hearings here. Uh, Remain in Mexico, anybody? Anyone remember that? Title 42? Anyone remember that? The minute Joe Biden got in, that number started climbing. The quarterly numbers for immigration court backlog. By the end of one year of Joe Biden, it had gone from under 50,000 to over 200,000. By the end of, uh, uh, I guess it's the quarter of June this year, it was over 250,000. And by September, it had reached 400,000 cases. Now, many of these cases have yet to be adjudicated, yet to be heard. And the projection is that this year, the the end of this final quarter of the year, those numbers will now hit 450,000, meaning the total backlog of immigration cases is going to be over 3 million We'll have more than 3 million people in the country with a cell phone we gave them, with a court date, and we're praying that they'll show up. It's unsustainable. The question is, is it planned? It's a stunning number. And the graph is obvious, obviously showing uh, the difference in administrations. Under 50,000 when he came in, it's going to be 450,000 just this last quarter of 2023. It's Michael Pelka in for Chris Plant. Still have to get to the madness of the World Economic Forum and the European Central Bank trying to force digital currency on everybody. Why would they do that? Could it be because they can control it? I'll share the actual spoken words from the people behind the plot. It's coming up next on The Chris Plant Show. Hey, it's Chris Plant, excited to tell you about our July 2024 Listener Sea Cruise. We'll be sailing around the British Isles, visiting Scotland and Ireland. Please join us. Visit ChrisPlantCruise.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to the Chris Plant Show. Mike Opelka, my name's sitting in for Chris this week. And I have talked about how we need to be awake and aware of things like the World Economic Forum and the idiots over in the European Union. And today I have some very important pieces of evidence to share with you of why I feel this way about these people. They don't want you to be free or have any say in how you live your life. They want to come down upon you with a set of rules and regulations by which you are supposed to live. For example, the European Central Bank is pushing for a new digital currency, the digital euro. It sounds so fancy. It sounds like it's going to be great until you listen to the actual words 
of the president of the European Central Bank, Christine Lagarde, who actually said this and then had it posted. You're introducing the electronic euro, as I know. Yeah. So yeah. How, can I, um, how can switching to an electronic currency help? Now we have in Europe this threshold above 1,000 euros, you cannot pay cash. If you do, you're on the gray market. So you take mm -hmm. your risk. You get caught, you are fined, or you go in jail. But, you know, the, the, the digital euro is going to have a limited amount of control. There will be control, you're right. You're completely right. Mm -hmm. We are considering whether for very small amounts, you know, anything that is around 300, 400 euros, we could have a mechanism where there is zero control. But that could be dangerous. The terrorist attacks on France uh, back uh, 10 years ago were entirely financed by those very small anonymous credit cards that you can recharge in total anonymity. So the European Central Bank is already looking at controlling everything you spend money on if you're using their digital currency. That little clip freaked everybody out. So the next day, President Lagarde had to put out another statement, and she stood in front of the cameras, put on a, a better-looking business suit, and even smiled when she said this. The digital euro is on the move. Yesterday, the governing council of the ECB approved the opening of the preparation phase. It will be a journey. And we will walk the journey together with the legislator. All European institutions will be involved to make sure that Europe is equipped with the currency of the future. Cash is here to stay. You will have all options, cash and digital cash. Anybody believe that after she told us there will be controls? Anybody buying that? No. Now, she already told us there will be controls. Augustin Carstens is the general manager for the Bank of International Settlements, a central bank of central banks, if you will, who admits that the, the digital currency will have absolute control in the hands of the central bankers and how it's going to be used. Up to date on your injections? I, I'm almost out of time in this block here, so I, I will play for you. The words of Augustin Costance, the general mangler of the Bank for International Settlements. He looks like Augustus Gloop, in my opinion. But it's scarier what he's proposing. That plus an update on Lauren Boebert and Vivek Ramiswamy. No, they're not a couple. It's just election updates. So Pelka into plant. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little... Or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It is the Chris Plant Show, Michael Pelka, my name. Trying to get to everything in this last half hour of today's program. There's just too much. We have a uh, an avalanche 
of great audio to share with you. Also, um, a note that apparently another one of the American hostages being held by by Hamas in Gaza has been reported as deceased and apparently killed on October 7th. So while Joe Biden is luxuriating in the uh, Virgin Islands, uh, our hostages are still languishing. Just want to throw that out there. We're talking about the European Central Bank and its new digital currency. The currency of the future, as they like to tell us while they smile. The currency that they can control. And I mentioned this Augustine Carstens, the general man- manager. I called him General Mangler intentionally. Uh, for the Bank of International Settlements, a central bank of central banks, who actually said the quiet part out loud when talking about digital currency. We tend to establish the equivalence with cash. Uh, and there is a huge difference there. Uh, for example, in cash, uh, we don't know, for example, who's using a $100 bill today. We don't know who is using a 1,000 peso bill today. Uh, a key difference in, with the CBDC is that central bank will have absolute control on the rules and regulations that will determine the use of that uh, expression of central bank liability. And also, we will have the technology to enforce that. So they're going to have total control. Those are his words. Total control as as small as $100. You haven't gotten your injections. You have exceeded your carbon allowance. Did you leave the designated 15-minute district? All of your money is now temporarily suspended. This is a really bad idea. It's a really bad idea, and yet they're going to welcome it in Europe. I keep saying spend cash. Spend cash. Use cash. Even on small transactions, I know it's a proctological nuisance to do such. I know it's difficult to carry cash with you. But they're really trying to push this. And it is uh, dangerous, to say the least. Absolutely dangerous and concerning, especially at the speed at which it is coming and appears to be unstoppable in Europe. Uh, Now, I want to get back to a couple of the American political issues because there are very important political issues here in this country. We talked about Nikki Haley. We talked about Donald Trump and how Jack Smith's trying to stop him from actually speaking. Limiting his language in court is uh, absolutely anti-American what he's up to. But uh, there, there are some other big political issues out here. Some people are involved in campaigns. Lauren Boebert. Lauren Boebert, who uh, I have interviewed in the past. I interv- interviewed her before she even became a candidate when she owned a restaurant that encouraged open carry out in Colorado. It was called Shooters, and it was in the town of Rifle, Colorado. <laughs> How about that? What a perfect thing. They don't own and operate that that cafe anymore. But they used to encourage people to open carry. All of the waitresses were strapped. There was very little crime there, as you might imagine. But uh, Lauren Boebert, a little bit of a firebrand, a little bit of a something, someone who causes 
people concerned and some people love her. She barely won the last election, barely, by a handful of votes. And the Democrats have targeted her district. And they are pouring money into Lauren Boebert's district to try and flip it to a blue seat. And the GOP is primarying Lauren Boebert, which is kind of an interesting and irritating thing, I'm sure. You're saying, hey, I got elected here twice. And, and now you're primarying me? Well, the GOP is trying to make sure they keep that seat. Lauren Boebert has decided that she's going to change districts, which you're allowed to do. It's easy to do. You don't have to live in the district until you're elected to represent them. And she's representing the third district. Ken Buck, who has represented the fourth district of Colorado, has decided that he's going to step aside. He's not going to run for re-election. Lauren Boebert, realizing she's probably going to get primaried and lose, has decided to run in the fourth district. She made the announcement yesterday. Today, I am announcing my candidacy for the 2024 Republican nomination to represent Colorado's fourth congressional district in the United States House of Representatives. It's the right move for me personally, and it's the right decision for those who support our conservative movement. This is the right move for Colorado, for us. Since the first day I ran for public office, I promised I would do whatever it takes to stop the socialists and communists from taking over our country. That means staying in the fight, but it also means not allowing Hollywood elites and progressive money groups to buy the third district, a seat that they have no business owning. I will not allow dark money that is directed at destroying me personally to steal this seat. It's not fair to the third district and the conservatives there who have fought so hard for our victories, of which I'm incredibly grateful. So no matter where you stand on Lauren Boebert, this is a pretty savvy political move. She's stepping out of the election in the fourth district, in the third district, where she has been representing those people in Colorado and moving over to represent or try and represent the people in the fourth district, which has been a red seat. It's a very interesting tactic. Will it work? I don't know. We shall see. It's one to keep an eye on, definitely. And it's also interesting because the Democrats have been absolutely fundraising like crazy to to get a candidate in that third district where she currently sits. Now, both of these districts comprise a huge chunk of Colorado real estate. And I think there are fewer than 20 people per square mile in these districts. So there's usually more uh, more cattle than people in these areas. But 20, 20 people per square mile, that's a, that's a desolate district. But it is a huge chunk of real estate in Colorado. If she can pull this off, it's a really, really strong political move. We'll keep an eye on this. This is one to watch in the coming year. The other story, which we mentioned yesterday... Vivek Ramaswamy has um, suspended spending on television in Iowa and New Hampshire. That was the word out yesterday. NBC News reported it. And Vivek, speaking from, I, I think, his, uh, his bus on the road in uh, Iowa, because there's a whole lot of campaigning going on in Iowa and New Hampshire these days. Iowa 19 days away, 18 days away now, I think. Uh, Vivek, speaking to uh, Fox 
last night uh, he was he was on with Pete Hegseth. Before we get to that, I want to play you some of the media glee about the news. NBC reported, you know, the campaign spending was paused. And uh, that triggered the rest of the mainstream media thinking that Vivek's campaign was over. They don't like him very much. Check it out. Vivek Ramaswamy, who seems to be fading. We know in businesses and in politics, when things get tight, say goodbye to the advertising. He will tell you that he, it just hasn't been effective, so he's taking everything off the airwaves, but it's probably something more to it. Vivek Ramaswamy has lost all momentum. The best thing about January is it may be the last month we actually have to deal with Vivek Ramaswamy. Oh, somebody put their opinion on the table. It may be the last month we have to deal with Vivek Ramaswamy. <laughs> So Vivek stopped in at Fox and uh, was um, talking with Pete Hexeth. And Hexeth asked him right out of the blocks, what's the story on the spending? How do you respond to that? Is your campaign over with? No, they don't. Sorry to disappoint them. Actually, I'm not sorry to disappoint them. I'm actually thrilled to disappoint them. We're going this to the very end. I expect we're going to be successful. But Pete, the thing about me is I'm like, unlike other candidates, I've been a businessman. I've run businesses before. I understand when something actually makes sense and when it doesn't. So when advertising rates are spiking for everybody else, you've got $200 million close to that been spent by the campaigns and their super backs on TV ads. That's not the place to spend it. Instead, we're going grassroots bottom up. I've done the full Grassley. I've done more stops in Iowa than, in, than probably many of the other candidates combined. And we're doubling and tripling down on our spending in a much more targeted way that's going to deliver. You mark my words on this. A surprise at the Iowa caucus on January 15th. I think we're going to shock the world, actually. And so I'm running this campaign in the same way that I would run a company with an actual IQ and an actual brain, not taken for a ride by political consultants. And I think that's going to lead us to ultimately success here. So Vivek responds uh, to that uh, question by saying, yeah, we basically didn't want to pay the huge rates that are being charged in Iowa and New Hampshire. And yes, the, the airwaves are blanketed with campaign ads, television and radio in both Iowa and New Hampshire. And it's going to be that way all the way up to caucus day and to election day. And he also tried to say, I, I've done the full Grassley, which means you went to all 99 counties in Iowa. Uh, that was accomplished as well by Ron DeSantis. And it's not exactly yielding great results for him. But when he said we're going to pull a surprise in Iowa on caucus day, Pete Hexeth actually picked up on that. I have to give him credit. I've never really been the biggest Pete Hexeth fan, but I, I like the way he immediately responded to that claim and pushed back. And then Ramaswamy responded. Vivek, can you hang a number on what shock the world means? I mean, I've heard you say that before. Iowa's going to yeah. be a, a big surprise in your mind. Yeah. What does that mean? I love where we're sitting right now, Pete, where the mainstream media has got our expectations low, hanging me in fourth place. I think if you take where the mainstream media's polling narrative is of having me just in the high single digits in Iowa, we're going to shatter that. And I'm going to leave the rest to January 15th. I think we have a good shot at winning the Iowa caucus. I don't know about that. Uh, interesting. I'm dubious of that. We will see in, in very short order about the Iowa caucus. I don't think there's a snowball's chance in heck 
Vivek. Uh, the other story that involves someone in currently in the Senate is Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham, who stopped by Fox because he's t- defending. I'm having a hard time not laughing at this. He's defending uh, Chick-fil-A. The state of New York is proposing a rule that would actually force Chick-fil-A to open its restaurants on Sunday. And they currently don't do that because the uh, the parent, uh, the owners, the parent company says, no, we want our employees to have a, a day of rest and a day to go practice their faith. Uh, Lindsey Graham responding on Fox to the uh, Chick-fil-A outrage. The state of New York, where I'm at, wants to pass a law to make Chick-fil-A stay open on Sunday. Mm -hmm. Well, if you can have a Satan club in high school, surely they can close on Sunday because they believe it's the Lord's Day. I I love the angle right there. Uh, Lindsey Graham continuing to cheerlead for Chick-fil-A. To the Chick-fil-A people, you stand your ground. I've got your back. It's illegal what they're trying to do. Trying to make Chick-fil-A stay open on Sunday violates their constitutional rights. And this is one of the most liberal places in the world. Yeah, we'll see and we're going to fight you, Here New York. We're not going to give in to this. It's not Sunday. It's Wednesday. This is Wednesday. This is God's chicken. This is God's chicken. Don't forget the waffle fries, Lindsay. <laughs> Do not forget the waffle fries. They're, now I have to have Chick-fil-A for lunch, and I'm going to. Uh, let's, uh, let's have a flashback, though, to Lindsey Graham earlier this year talking about the document scandal and working Chick-fil-A into the conversation. I want to know why the press wasn't told about this event days before the 2022 election. They had found out that there were classified information in Biden's home days before the 2022 election, and they sat on it. That's what I want to understand. And if you come to my house, you'll find Chick-fil-A bags all over the floor, but you're not going to find any classified information. I don't doubt that we're going to find Chick-fil-A bags all over the floor at the Graham Chalet. Uh, what What a great series of clips. Uh, It's Michael Pelkin for Chris Plant. We'll wrap up today's show with a couple of last moments and last thoughts here. As I said, this is the Chris Plant Show. This is God's chicken. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. If I could only share the conversations during the commercial breaks with you. This is God's chicken. It is, Senator. It is God's chicken. Michael Pierce and I discussing fast food and which Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie was better, the original or two. I'm a fan of the second one. We'll go into that someday. Uh, It's Michael Pelkin for Chris Plant. I'll be here tomorrow, God willing. Uh, Speaking of of Lindsey Graham, before I get to uh, one more connect the dots moment here on the program today let's grab one more quick call terry in burke virginia's on the phone hello terry welcome to the program 
Hey, morning, Mike. Digging this show. Thank you. Hey, hey, um, man, I wouldn't trust Lindsey Graham for anything. This guy is so hot and cold, you don't know where he stands. He has no, like, fundamental foundations that he'd, that he'd go to the mat for. So, Chick, not that Chick-fil-A needs any advice, but it's kind of like, man, to put your trust in Lindsey, you're asking for trouble. Well, on, on the uh, on the fast food frontier, I, I respect his opinion on Chick-fil-A. I'm a big fan. So I'll give him that one. He gets one. And, you know, um, I disagree with him on some of the things he's done politically, but he has served this country for decades, not just in the Senate, but in the military. So uh, Lindsey Graham gets a, a salute from me on that. Thank you, Terry. Appreciate you being there. Uh, we talked earlier again about uh, Chick-fil-A. And I mentioned to Michael Piercy, I remember a professional athlete. I thought it was a basketball player who during the initial outrage against Chick-fil-A, remember when the mainstream media was trying to cancel Chick-fil-A? They were doing everything they could to force a boycott of Chick-fil-A because they said, oh, they, they, they don't like gay people. They, they support slavery, whatever. It was all Bravo Sierra. And in fact, it triggered a boycott, not a boycott. It triggered so many people to go eat a Chick-fil-A it drove that company's profits higher and higher and higher. And the media, in its efforts to try and shut down Chick-fil-A, kept going after people like athletes and asking them, hey, what about Chick-fil-A? What would you do? And, and Justin Durant, Detroit Lions linebacker, uh, went on Twitter, now Twitter X, uh, talking about it in a social media exchange uh, it even touched the slavery topic, so I guess we're putting a button on today's show, tying everything together. Uh, Durant posted, chicken too tasty. <laughs> Someone asked him, would you boycott Chick-fil-A if the owner came out and said slavery was a good idea? And Durant just responded, chicken too tasty. Yeah, people vote with their stomachs, too. Uh, Durant had previously said, so people not gun get the best chicken sandwich and lemonade on the planet because of a personal belief word chicken too tasty. Oh, it's brilliant. It's beautiful. So this is God's hungry. chicken. It is. It is Lindsay. And I will be enjoying some of God's chicken uh, minutes after this program ends because I'm starving like a garbage man on a hot day. I need to explain that too. Tomorrow, we should be back here together to wrap up the week and put a button on the year. Some of the best, some of the worst, and whatever's breaking in the news. Michael Pelka saying thank you, Michael Piercy, and everybody who tuned in and participated. Till tomorrow, testudo, my friends. Testudo. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.